All right. Today I'm here with Laura and she is from central New York. And we're going to get to hear a little about about her story of removing alcohol and kind of where she is now. So, hey, Laura, I'm so excited to get to talk to you today. Hi, thanks for having me. You are welcome. I love it. So we'll just start out and we'll just dive right in. I want you to tell me a little bit about your personal story with drinking. Um, I mean, I, you know, it's funny because I don't, I don't really see my story as being so much different than other people's, but I guess that's really the point. Um, I, at about, you know, 15, I had a, you know, my, my brother was really into drinking um, and, you know, my parents weren't, but I have two much older brothers. And so their influence was somehow like a little bit more, you know, uh, you know, their influence is more influential, if you will. And then my parents um, were. So it was something that I always strived for, which was to be more adult, be more like them, you know, seem also more adult to them. And I think that's probably where it sort of started. And once I sort of had permission to experiment with alcohol in that way, you know, that sort of gave me a green light. And, you know, I certainly don't blame my brother. I'm not, you know, angry with him or anything. I, I'm just, you know, in my reflection over the years, I, I'm pretty sure that's kind of where it came from. And, um, you know, it was just like at parties, you know, snuck around a little bit. You know, my parents didn't pay a ton of attention to what I did because I was really good in school and I basically did what I was supposed to. And there was, there was a lot of trust there anyway. So I did take advantage of that, like a lot of kids do. And then, and then, you know, through high school, um, it just kind of became this fun thing that I would look forward to doing with a couple people. You know, we didn't go to wild, crazy parties. That, that really scared me. I didn't want get, to get involved with cops or take really big risks. But we did, um, you know, a couple field parties here and there, mostly sort of secluded places outside. Outside was a good place to go. We lived in an apartment complex when there was lots of big open spaces with trees and stuff to kind of hide away from passing cars. And, you know, it was fun to be kind of rebellious. It was fun to be a little, you know, irresponsible, but it felt responsible. We felt really grown up doing what we were doing. And then college, you know, I, I did go to undergraduate school and we did a lot of partying. I stayed home. I didn't go out to bars a lot because who has money for that? But it was, I felt really connected to people. Like I really liked people and alcohol made me feel like I could really connect and feel stuff. And in a way that that was rejuvenating. Like I felt like I deserved it. I felt like I work hard during school. I'm, you know, I'm a good person. Uh, there's nothing wrong with this. Everybody does it. It was just so accepted and it became my identity. Like I could hold my liquor. I could, you know, I didn't pass out. Um, I could, you know, I was really funny. And so it got to be something that I felt like I needed in order to be part of something bigger. And now I look back and I don't remember <laughs> half of these experiences I ever had. And, and I, you know, some of these people I do talk to and God willing, they still respect me and, and love me because I feel like I was not really as considerate as I wish I had been. And I don't know how I kept some of these friends, honestly, but, um, and, and through my adulthood, it just, it, it was something I hung on to. 
And about six or seven years ago, I thought to myself, huh, I don't know if this is something that's good for me anymore. But just like everything else that you've done for 10, 15 years, you can't just be like, you can't just snip it away. It's not, it's, it became something that people expected of me. It became something that I expected of myself. And there was always that. How old are you now? I'm 38. 38. And so this was six or seven years ago. That that thought, that first, was that kind of your first time of like, huh? It was. And I had seen my, my brother go through, um, you know, he, he sort of did hit rock bottom. He had a, it, it wasn't as bad as, as I've heard other people's stories, but that didn't seem to deter me. I, I was like, that's not me. Um, I, I'm not, you know, he had to drop out of school. He, you know, I was having a hard time telling myself and convincing myself that I had a problem because what I identified as alcoholism or a problem with alcohol was not what I saw in myself. And um, it's really easy to, to convince yourself that this thing you don't want to do, which is in this case, quit, um, is something that you have to do. I mean, it's easy to, to make excuses. And I am in of rationalization and excuses. And it was, you know, it was just the same thing over and over and over again. And it's, you know, cause when you, when you are drinking, there's this, there's this peak, right? You get to a certain point. And then for me anyway, it was, it was always something I regretted. It wasn't mm-hmm. never like, man, that was a really great time. It got to the point where I was never saying, man, that was a really great time or let's do that again. But yet I'd still do it again. And it was definitely a hamster wheel sort of feeling. And it was very, I felt very trapped in it. Well, let me bring up a point. Let me stop you for just a second, because I think this is, there's several huge things that you said. First is the fact that we have been conditioned as a society to compare ourselves to the rock bottom story. (laughs) You know, it's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm questioning my drinking that maybe this is not something that is serving me or I really don't feel good. And I'm, and I'm not having the like, yay, you know, it's more of the regret and the shame, but I'm really not that, you know, I look at that. I'm really not that bad because that's a horrible story. That person, you know, lost their job or lost their thing. And I think that's where all that does is supports the other part, like you were saying, of our brain that learns to make excuses and to learns to defer. And what's so cool to me now is now that I'm on the other side and there's freedom in that, is that that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with us, with you, or with any woman who's hearing this that's in it. All that says is that that's just a normal part of the wiring of our brain. And that's just what it does. It's going to do that. So um, I love that. So you got to a place where you were continuing, but you still just, you were, did you feel like it was a slower fade though? Like there was that season of like, oh wow, this is fun. And then all of a sudden it got to where like, I'm drinking, but I don't feel better the next day. I actually feel worse. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, back several years ago when I first started getting that feeling inside that, that voice that said, you know, this isn't so good for you. Um, 
you know, it wasn't, it was a, it was a slow fade from, from that point to the, the night that I started, that I was just like, this is it. Um, because, you know, it just, the, the fun kept getting less and less and less. And I started to just feel kind of foolish. I felt um, like, you know, almost like a, like a child where I had to, I felt like, I felt like I was desperate to hang on to this thing that was, that felt like me as a kid. And yet I was so desperate too, to actually be an adult. And when I used to identify drinking and sort of being carefree and not, you know, you know, disregarding, you know, certain responsibilities that seemed very adult. And yet now it was, it caused all this dissonance because I was realizing that what I actually wanted out of adulthood had nothing to do with this recklessness. And that's what it felt like. It felt nothing about it felt responsible. And part of that's because I am unable to have a drink of wine with dinner. I am unable to, you know, be on a picnic and have a couple beers and, you know, play cornhole <laughs> like a normal person. Like I can't do that because the second I start drinking, I mean, literally like one, two sips in, um, all my, you know, everything just goes out the window. And I think suddenly I just, I want to feel more relaxed. I want to feel that buzz. I want to feel it and I want to do it and I experience it. And then, you know, you're one or two in and suddenly you don't really care about your, your feelings anymore about wanting to be sober. And then, you know, I anyway, don't have an off switch. I just don't have an off switch. And, and accepting that took a long time because I didn't want to feel like that. I wanted to just, I wanted so badly to, to be a regular drinker, whatever that was. And I just, every single time I thought, I'll just, I'll be more responsible this time. It'll be fine. I'll stop at three, you know, whatever. Okay. I'll stop at three, three, three glasses of wine and it'll be fine. And then every, I get to three glasses. And as we all know, there's only one left in the bottle after mm -hmm. that. And you're like, well, obviously I got to drink it. I mean, I can't just leave one glass of wine in the bottle and then that would be gone. And I would think, you know what, the bottle, the, you know, the wine bottle's gone. My husband or whoever I'm with is, you know, probably not going to expect me to keep drinking, but I kind of want to. So I'm going to sneak shots right out of the bottle even sometimes when nobody's looking. And I don't know why I did this. I didn't need to be drunker. I, I didn't need it. I, I just, I don't have an off switch and, and learning that about myself, um, you know, knowing it, but suppressing it and then having to accept it is, is difficult. And I think that that accepting it still, even now, I mean, and, and again, I've only been sober since May, beginning of May. And even now, you know, acceptance for, for lots of things is difficult, but it's still weird to think of myself as somebody who doesn't drink. It's not such a weird feeling that I want to go because now I feel like it's like a personal thing now. Now I'm just like, okay, if I, if I mess this up, um, you know, that's, I'm going to feel terrible. Um, I feel a little bit more clear headed now. Like I can, you know, I can do that. 
Um, because the second I start saying, oh, I'll forgive myself, it'll be fine. Um, you know, I feel like I'm opening a door to disaster. Mm -hmm. um, well, and let me, let me ask you this then, because this is a good, this is a good place to be because, well, there's two things. The first part is, do you also identify with being a person who is typically very disciplined and can control things? No, it, no, you don't. <laughs> no, not at all. So then what made you think that you could control the alcohol then? Cause I was on the other side. I'm a very, like very strict, very rigid, very disciplined person. So my internal battle was what is wrong with you? Why can't you control this thing? You do all these other things, you know, mine. And it's funny how our brains know how to get us and know how mm -hmm. to argue. <laughs> and so, yeah, let me hear your, cause this sounds different than, than me. What's yeah. Yours? You know, it's, it's funny because everybody feels the need to control things. I mean, at, to some degree, but I'm a little bit all over the place all the time. And I'm, I'm not very organized. I never really feel like I have it together. Um, and it's, but the, I have a really high bar that I set for myself though. And I feel, you know, that anything that I sort of set my mind to do, I want to do it the best. And what's, what the trap though, is that I have this warped idea of what the best is sometimes. And I have a really hard time asking for help. So I, for some reason, um, I do see a therapist. <laughs> we are working on some of these things, but yeah. for some reason, I feel like I should be able to. Like the adult thing to do is to be able to take care of your own business, and I've let myself down um, repeatedly. And part of that is because I I do set my, set myself up for for failure sometimes with how high I set my standard for myself. I don't set a standard that high for others usually, but for myself, I do, and so. I thought this is something that adults can take care of. I need to take care of this myself. Just like, you know, I should be able to fill out this paperwork for my daughter's school. Like I should be able to, um, you know, do this thing that I've, that someone at work asked me to do. And this seemed like that. It seemed like just something that, that I didn't need to ask help for, partly because it was really embarrassing and I didn't want to admit to anybody else that I needed help with this because that would be admitting to myself that there was an actual legitimate problem. Yeah. So, so I, I think it's just that, that inability or unwillingness at so many points in my life to, to ask for help at all. Um, and to, uh, you know, cause that, that sometimes in my head is seem more like weakness than strength. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I can rationalize, I can tell myself and tell other people that strength comes from, uh, you know, asking for help and admitting that you have limitations and all these things. But, but when it comes to something like this, it's, it's sometimes hard for me. And I know probably lots of people to, um, to really be gentle with yourself. Absolutely. And, um, we won't derail and get all coachy on you, but, um, I heard a lot there. And I hear that a lot in conversations with clients is the, the should <laughs> we can should all over ourselves. <laughs> um, right, right. Yeah. So most of the time when we do take a deeper dive, which is something um, I'm sure if you're seeing a therapist too, you can do this. Uh, it's related back to when we were young. It's usually yeah. some core beliefs and some core things that happened 
you know, usually between ages six and 12, these beliefs that we've had so that we already, we were patterned with those, oh, well, I should be able to do these things before we even got there. So that's interesting because it goes back to the beginning of the story of the, the desire to fit in and to feel like an adult and all these things. And it's so cool to see how they mesh together. And then the more you get, um, gain more and more clarity, the longer the time goes, the deeper you start, um, you know, you're studying the brain and studying yourself the more exciting it's going to get because all these other things are going to come up for you that you get to kind of um, break free of too. So, so let's talk about then. So this was May, you decided May of this year, kind of, what was that moment for you? Can you kind of take us back to when you said, all right, this is it? Absolutely. Um, I had had one of those nights where I was making dinner and, um, I decided to start drinking. Um, I love the idea and that this is something that happens to me a lot. I like the idea of something and I like how it looks as if, if you were to take a snapshot of it or, you know, there would be some, like, like you see montages of, of, of things in happy movies where, you know, what you sort of imagine happy life to be. I would have these sort of imaginative, you know, scenarios running through my mind and I like, the idea of drinking wine while you cook, it made me feel like I was part of, you know, this image that I wanted to project, even though literally nobody else was there. It wasn't like I was doing it for somebody else. I was sort of trying to fit into something that I thought was fun and cool. And so I was, you know, sort of drinking and cooking. And then, you know, I'm, you know, taking my time and my husband's downstairs working on something in the basement and my daughter was in her room doing whatever. And um, I just, as it happened all the time, I just got carried away. And then just like it, you know, probably for a, for a whole year, probably leading up to that, I almost every single time I would start in this kind of pattern, like at dinner, for example, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know when to stop. And then I would, I sat there and I was like, I'm wasted. And I did not plan on being wasted. And I just got really irritated with myself. And then it was time for dinner. And, um, my husband, I was really embarrassed because I was like, he's going to know that I'm wasted, but then I'm already wasted. So my judgment is all messed up. And I thought, I can hide this. <laughs> I can hide this. You know, I can, it's no big deal, you know. And, you know, he didn't say anything. We didn't want to make a, you know, he didn't want to make a scene in front of our daughter who's 12. And, um, you know, we sat down in front of a movie and we had some dinner. Um, and then I just kept getting drunker and drunker um, as, as the night went on, like as time went on, like, a, like an hour into the movie. Um, I went to get up just to walk down the hall to the restroom or something. And I was just so messed up and embarrassed. And I just was like, I got to stop. I got to stop this feeling. I got to stop this feeling. And I, I guess I was in there for a while trying to deal with this. And my husband knocked on the door and he was like, what is going on? And I, at that point, just fell apart. And I knew at that moment that this was not something that I could handle on my own. And I was unable to make good decisions. And 
I was too impulsive every night, um, almost every night to have the sense to restrain myself and, and keep myself from, from getting into this, this problem every day. And I just, I just let it all out. I said, I literally, he said, what is going on in here? And I said, I don't ever want to drink again. Mm. And I just started sobbing and he gave me a hug and he was like, I'm so sorry. He just kept apologizing to me <laughs> because he felt like he should have seen that I was struggling. And so um, I think what happened to them, because it's a little bit blurry, but I, you know, he was like, let's get you to bed and I'll take care of, you know, I'll, you know, take out the trash, like these things I had to do and we'll talk in the morning. And then the next morning, um, you know, when you're, when you're clear headed, um, it, we had a difficult conversation, but it was respectful. And I, I noticed that he had gotten rid of all the liquor, um, in the house, which was an extensive, uh, quite a bit. Um, and cause he, he doesn't drink, he doesn't really drink at all. So that was, that made it easier. Um, because I know a lot of people who drink with their partners and that's something they do to bond with them. And I feel very blessed to not have to deal with that because having that around all the time would be tough. Um, but he's like, I don't, you know, I, 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 he just took that initiative and I am so thankful for it. And ever since then, you know, it's been a huge relief. Like every day that I could say, just mark that, you know, tick, you know, one more day, one more day. Um, I felt really proud of myself because I, you know, I hadn't gone more than a couple days before without drinking in a long time. Mm. Um, but I just, it was, it took that. I mean, sometimes, you know, I really need somebody to remind me that, that, uh, I do need to be held accountable. I, I'm not always able to do it myself and rarely am I able to do something all by myself exclusively. Um, so yeah, I guess that's, that's awesome. So for you then let's just, um, let's just say like, what is your, other than your husband, obviously being accountable with you, how was that first few weeks and what other things did you do to make sure that you kept your commitment to yourself? Well, I joined a couple of Facebook groups, um, but actually I joined those groups a few months before actually, but I sort of paid more attention to them now. Um, I tried to sort of read other people's stories, share my story a little bit, um, you know, ask for advice here and there. Um, I actually downloaded an app that tracked your days sober and there was a little, there were spaces in there to sort of tell you every day, like remind you why you're doing this. Um, and I tried to start journaling a little bit more, which is something that I had done as a kid and it, it really helped a lot. And it's something my therapist had been trying to get me to make time for again. And so I did, I started to do that. Um, I was really inconsistent with it, but I thought, you know, uh, when I thought of it, I would, I would try to do that. And it honestly, it was easier during quarantine than it would have been before because I wasn't leaving the house much. Like my, my place of work is right next to a liquor store. And let's be honest, I don't know about where it is where you live, but there is a liquor store almost on every corner 
anywhere you go around here. Like you can't buy it in the grocery store, but you, it's not hard to find. Um, and it's, you know, my husband's away sometimes too. Like he, he dog sits and he stays several nights in a row at someone else's house. And so that's what I was most worried about is, am I going to be able to, to be honest with myself and be honest with him and not drive somewhere at night and secretly drink a bottle all by myself. Mm -hmm. Um, but that feeling that I had that night of regret and shame and embarrassment and, and absolute disappointment was something I won't ever forget. And that is what sort of kept me going for the first few weeks. Um, and I didn't want to experience that again. I didn't want to experience that again because I had felt that so many times, but by myself Mm. and, and it was so, I mean, it was cleansing to have that, that moment of, of actual realization, not just, you know, that inkling, um, and to have somebody see it and therefore sort of remind me, but those first few weeks were were weird because that's the thing. Like I don't, there's no physical addiction. Like I didn't have like shakes. I didn't have any, but, but you know, just like cigarette people, like cigarette people, smokers. Wow. That's what they're called. Smokers. Um, <laughs> they, they have to, you know, part of it's physical, like it's obviously an addiction. I mean, they say nicotine is, is more addicting than heroin. And there are lots of studies that say that, yeah. but you've got, there's this, there's this need to, to, to actually, draw it in and hold it and light it like there's these these fit these tactile things going on too um and for me that was that identity that 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 feeling you know that projection i sort of would imagine myself and who i am and who i sort of wanted to be all those years and to sort of not have that anymore it i sort of started having this weird identity crisis because I'm like, who am I if I'm not the fun girl who can hold her liquor? Like, who am I if I'm not, um, you know, this drinker? Like, and when I sort of started mourning the loss of that person, I realized that that's, there's so much more. I mean, it seems really cliche. It's like, there's more to you than the drinker you. And obviously, you know, that's obvious, but sometimes it's really difficult to separate from that. Just like, you know, it, it really felt like something had died and so, or somebody had died. And I realized that the me that I see in the future, when I project into the future, isn't a drinker. And I was very, very okay with that. I, I was very okay with that. In fact, I really embraced that. And so as more time went on, I, it felt like I was closer and closer to that person. And that made me feel really clean and like clean inside, um, like, and very adult. Like it actually made me, gave me sort of, you know, that sort of confidence boost and that adult feeling that I, that I wanted because I had stopped equating adulthood with alcohol. And over time I sort of started equating it with, um, you know, asking for help when you need it, which I totally did, even though it wasn't quite by choice. Um, and 
having that kind of control and talking about it um, because I'm surrounded by drinkers all the time, just like everybody else is. It's everywhere. And, yeah. and people even joke about being alcoholics when, when they might be, but they joke about it and they, they throw that term around like really flippantly. And um, I, you know, in recent weeks, even I've, I've taken to talking about it and just being like, Hey guys, you know, at work, like I work, like I work in a restaurant. So we're all this weird, this weird dysfunctional family, but like, out of nowhere, I'll just be like, Hey guys, I'm four months sober. Just want to let everybody know. Like, and sometimes I just have to say that out loud. And I, and, and that itself sort of renews that commitment. Yes. Okay. I love it. Love it. Love it. Couple pointers that I I'm going to pull out again is I because I can relate and I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate to is the fact that that wasn't the first time the shame the guilt and regret came out that wasn't the first time it was probably the twentieth time I know I I went through that too but it was a, it was a moment in time and it was also like you said, actually speaking it and it's a, it's a confession in a way, confessing to another person. And that's the thing. I think so, so many times that when we're, we're trapped in this loop or hamster wheel that we feel in, um, and then our brains are looping too. It's that isolation that we're put into that like, you know, don't say anything because if you say something, then you really do have a problem or you really are an alcoholic or, you know, you begin to put this label on yourself. And how there's so much freedom in the actually like opening your mouth and talking about it. And that's why, you know, to me, that was huge. And I love how you connected in the Facebook groups, because for me, that was huge too. Like community and connection is a huge part of what I teach. That is why I created the Set Free Sisterhood podcast and Facebook group so that we could say it because there's going to be people like me that I'm okay now. I'm okay saying it to a bunch of people and don't mind my voice being heard. But then there are others that are like, I'm really scared to say anything, you know, and you don't have, you can just tell your partner or you can just connect with the group that is safe and private and that there's other members in there that you can, but I'm telling you, there is so much power in speaking it. And then like you just said in your little group, but I'm, I worked in a restaurant for years and it is a, dysfunctional family with all your coworkers and peers. And, um, and I think that's huge because not only are you helping yourself by saying it, you know, you're, you're now, believe it or not, someone that people are going to look to. Cause then what happens is when you make this change in your life and you begin to see it as, you know, this is something that is a, a huge healthy choice and, you're a new woman, people are beginning to look and go, huh? You know, especially if they're, if they're questioning it, you know, if they're already questioning, wow, I drink too much, or I was alone, I was doing the same kind of thing. Then now you can also be sort of that light to their path too. You just never know who's watching. And I think that's huge. It's true. You never, you never know what you're going to say or, or do that's going to have a positive impact on somebody else. Just like you never know, you know, a negative impact too, but you certainly, um, you know, can, can just hope that, that somebody can, can take from it. And, and it's, it's, it's been, you know, and it's weird because, you know, it hasn't been that long. It hasn't been that long for me, but yet it also seems like, like forever. It seems enough time has passed for me where I actually feel 
like I'm at the, the point of no return. I, I don't actually feel tempted to go back. I do think about it, but like not, I don't, I, I think about alcohol and I think about drinking, um, but I don't think, man, I really need a glass of wine right now. But I can tell you that what it has done is made things sort of psychologically, um, it's opened a lot of floodgates. I realized probably about a month in what my triggers were and I couldn't always put my finger on, you know, oh, this, someone says this thing to me or someone, but, or someone does this and it makes me want to drink. It's more of a life is hard and life is overwhelming. And I have a threshold where I'm, you know, I can, I can handle up to a certain amount of stuff and then I can't handle it anymore. And so I would pick up a bottle at that point and it made me feel like I could put it away for a little while. I had put, I could put the anxiety, I could put the daily stuff away um, because it, it made me enjoy the moment more like drinking that made me, made me feel in that moment, like feeling, it made me feel the moment mm -hmm. and the connection and the, you know, even the connection with like the wind and like, you know, being outside. And so it was just a really quick and lazy way for me to feel like I could let go of some of these anxieties. And so yeah. with, without that, because I, but I was also not one of those drinkers who like felt like, you know, there, when things are going to heck and, you know, or, or you're just really depressed about something, that's when you drink. Like I, I wasn't that person. I was, I was a person who I felt overwhelmed. I needed to relax, but I was the person who, when things are going really well and you felt like you needed to celebrate, that's when I also would, would pick it up. So it's like, I would self-sabotage all the time because things were going really well. And, 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 you know, I got a promotion or I felt really loved by people. I felt like a part of the community. And then I'm like, what, you know, how do I make this better? You know, I'm just going to pop a cork and everything's going to be just that much better because I can't turn it off. I can't just accept, you know, I can't stop drinking. I can't stop needing that feeling of everything's great. So then I try to make it even greater. So, so without that drink, I had to sort of face those moments with a totally different point of view and there wasn't an escape hatch. I just had to deal with that moment in the moment. And that was eye-opening and it is eye-opening every day because I'm, I, I'm still sort of, I reach a point every day where I'm like, wow, I need to let this go. Like I need to, I need to relax, but what do I do? <laughs> what mm -hmm. do I do? Relax? And so, you know, I, I've, I've take, I've, started to read about mindfulness. Uh, I tried to talk to my therapist about mindfulness and, and, and sort of how to enjoy a moment um, without artificial, um, you know, substance. Uh, and it's... Yeah, because what you could do is you could switch it. You know, you could go to like, oh, well, I just watch TV a lot or I go and you know, it could turn into sugar, it could turn into something else. And what I found that, you know, there are times in the beginning that I'm like, okay, girlfriend, go get you an ice cream. It's, sure. ice, it's ice cream instead of wine. It's going to be fine. But at some point we do have to discover 
and sit in that discomfort and go, okay, this is just part of it. And then I, what I did was just over time too, found it's kind of the simple, what fuels me and what depletes me. So I know that when I get to that place, I'm like, all right, I can visually see my energy tank or, you know, whatever that, that feeling of that overwhelm is, what, what works for me. And that's where I love that you're, you're going down that path and that journey. Cause you got to find, I can tell people my whole long list, but you have to find each of us have to find what that is for us. Right. Absolutely. And I, you know, I sort of, I thrive on, on, I mean, it seems simple to say I thrive on change because, you know, we all have trouble with change to some degree, but, you know, growth and introspection is, is a huge part of a part of my life. And I just, I really love that this is a thing for me. And I, I actually started therapy in general um, only about a year ago because I felt I had a lot of anxiety and I felt um, like I was my control over alcohol and food was really um, precarious. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, one thing led to the other and, um, you know, I, you know, it's, it's, most of us who have problems with alcohol don't just have problems with alcohol. You know, we have problems with, with food. We have problems with, you know, addiction of lots of kinds. And it, you know, lo lots of it is chemical. Like I, um, you know, it's a dopamine thing. It's a, it's a childhood thing. It's a, you know, whatever, whatever it is, addiction in my experience rarely um, limits itself to one thing. And it's, and you're right, it's easy to transfer, you know, you're like, oh, I'm going to quit this thing, but my body or my mind need something to fulfill that. And then they, you know, they move to something else. And so, you know, alcoholism does run in my family um, on my dad's side. Um, but like I said, and I think you said it in one of your other podcasts, it's really easy or the, there was some statistic about, you know, when you watch your parents do certain things, it becomes sort of almost inevitable that you're going to pick up these same kinds of destructive habits. It's the conditioning, you know, I'm learning more and more about that now as we see just in our culture right now and what we're seeing on TV and Netflix and how, you know, the more you see something in its pattern, especially by parents and, you know, people that you, you know, cause we're always modeling everything we do in front of our children. Cause that's their first, that's their first view of what the world is and how we live our, you know, in our family unit, like, well, Oh, well, this is, this is how we live our lives and stuff. And so that's exactly what it is. Cause if you see that modeling, then you just go, well, that's just part of the rite of passage or, yep. And then I get to that age and then, you know, some, yeah. like you said, some people could take it or leave it and go, man, this is not my thing. And some right. are just like, bam, that's, yep. ooh, that's my happy, happy and feeling. I, I'm so thankful that my parents didn't, didn't drink. I think I've seen my dad drink one beer in my entire life. And it was because he didn't want to become a problem. He didn't want to develop a problem with alcohol like he'd seen in his own family growing up. Um, and so I know that, you know, I'm very, very lucky to have not been in an environment where it was literally everywhere and, and accepted on such a close familial level. Um, I, I am so thankful all the time that I was actually in a very nurture, I mean, I very nurturing home. Like I, you know, that's another thing that would always run through my mind is I would think why, um, you know, I can't possibly have a problem. Like 
I, what am I trying to escape from? Like I had, <laughs> you know, I had a very great childhood where, you know, all my quirks were accepted and I, you know, I, I took all sorts of things for granted. Um, but it's just, it's so easy for the ego and the thinking mind to tell yourself that, you know, destructive behaviors are, are okay. It's fine. You've got this girl, you know, it's fine. You'll, you'll be fine. And, and, you know, it's, it's just, it's not fine. And, and the thought, you know, on paper, like the, the idea of it, you know, to, to write it down, like just not going to drink anymore. I mean, it's funny how easy that sounds, but we make it so hard and it is so hard, but we gotta, I, you know, I tell this, I have to tell myself this all the time, like, get out of your own head, get out of your own head, lady. Like this is, this is not, you know, my daughter's in second grade, her teacher said, you know, to help them deal with problems. You know, when you're feeling away, think to yourself, big problem, small problem. Is this a big problem or is it a small problem? And I tell you, there's not a week that goes by that I don't, I don't think of that. And I, and I thank her second grade teacher all the time because sometimes you just, you have to, or at least it's helped me. You have to, um, you know, ask yourself, like, is this really something that is worth getting all worked up about? Um, is alcohol really so important that you have to suffer all the time because of it? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's just not, it's just not, and it's, it's, it's the one drug that you have to explain why you don't do it. And that's interesting to me too, is that you, and the, the pressure can, can get to a lot of people. And I know that it does. I know that it does. It really does. Beautiful. I love it. So as we're kind of winding down, I, you're, here we are four months in and you've already, I love how you visualized your future you too. I think that's huge. I do a lot of that um, because and we talk about this a lot on some one-on-one coaching is just there's always the past version of us there's always michelle who's here now and there's always the one in the future and a lot of times it takes us visualizing her like you did and you're like okay she is a non-drinker you know and also kind of like taking her wisdom because a lot of times i'll do that when i'm in growth and like looking in and going okay and let her kind of tell me, so to speak, visualize, you know, I'm proud of you and I'm proud of what you're doing now because it's, it's great here. You know, you've really done and you've accomplished what you put your mind to and it's great over here. So just keep doing it. She can't tell us how that's just not allowed. She has to just tell us that we're doing good. So for me, just, is there anything else you want to share? Is there, if somebody said, Hey, what would your, you know, your biggest advice be or something that they can kind of know if they decide, you know what, I've, this has been a challenge for me and I really want to, I really want it out of my life too. You know, is there like your top, top tip or something that you would say to them before we go? Um, probably just, you know, the first step before anything else is you have to be honest with yourself because you can give all sorts of people, all sorts of lip service, but it doesn't mean anything. Um, you can't accept you have a problem until you're honest with yourself about it. 
And that sometimes is a really hard step, but it's a huge step. It's like, once you take that step, in my experience, everything else is much, they're much smaller steps. It's easier to, to continue walking once you take that first step onto the path. And, um, and also to, you know, be gentle, um, try, you know, try to actually do and, and things that are helpful to you. Because I think that people throw out, oh, all you need is some self-care, just some self-care, like that'll help you get through all this. Um, but there's also all sorts of preconceived ideas of what self-care really is. So you might not want to take a bath, like baths might not be your thing. Don't, don't let somebody else tell you what self-care is. If you just want to sit in your lawn and listen to the birds, like that can be self-care. You don't have to take a walk or, or listen to the water. Um, you know, you don't have to, you know, put on fuzzy socks and like watch a movie to cry. Like, like you need to decide like what actually makes you comfortable in your own skin, what makes you happy. And that's, that's self-care. It doesn't have to be anything super fancy or, you know, Instagrammable. <laughs> it, it, it just has to feel good because that's part of the honesty. And once you can be comfortable in that and accept that, it becomes much more natural and much easier to be honest with other people and to feel like you deserve to be taken care of by yourself. Like you deserve to feel like like you have a right to feel the way you want to feel. Mm, very good. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much. We're going to end with that. I'm thankful for your time. And um, I can't wait to connect again. Maybe at your year mark, we'll have to check back in and kind of see what you, you're up to and all that good stuff. So I love it. Okay, girlfriend, before you go, if you found value in this podcast and it helped you, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. Every so often, I will read reviews and give shout outs. To dig deeper, join us at Set Free Sisterhood over on Facebook. I will pop the link in the show notes. And don't forget, if you know someone that would enjoy or benefit from this podcast, share it with them and take a screenshot and post it in your Instagram stories and tag me. It's time to take back our power, ladies, and be set free. Until next time, stay blessed. Michelle.